I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a prison cell here in 2022 i'm one of your hosts kenny nybart and i'm phyllis Gove. and with us today is christian pierce what's my, happening my good buddy and uh the youngest uh per- not the youngest but but a member of the new generation what's up hollywood Man, life is good. Uh, yeah, you, you probably had to h- stop yourself there, huh? You're like, youngest, well, kind of. We had a nineteen. We had a nineteen-year-old. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> we have a 19, which was crazy. We had what, no you're, like the, young you're like the maybe. You're not the second. I don't know if you're the second youngest. I don't know how old you are. You, you're you. You could be. You, you really have no. You're ageless to me. You look exactly the same age when I met you eight years ago. We've worked together on projects. Um, we have a Quibi experience together. We do famous Quibi, Quibi experience. Mm. Yeah, we, we have to do some you, kinda, We I love know. those. We love those quibsters. There's gotta be we some kind of relationship. What's the relationship like equivalent to our Quib- Quibi experience? I wonder, because it's like, is it like thinking you're gonna marry a rich guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, it's like I mean, it's you know what it is, man. I mean, it's not, it's not a great analogy, but when I I wrote a script when I was like 25, mm. and. Uh, I sent it to uh, like a, I mean, like basically the story is Steve Levinson got it at Entourage and his uh, producer loved it and sent it to Steve Levin. Lev loved it. And then they attached Wahlberg to like produce. And the producer, what he calls back is this, Wahlberg's going to produce this. He writes back, so you can start spending money you don't have. <laughs> 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 Which I went ahead and did, obviously. Sure. But in the show, now, and 
what we never sold. Uh, but it, that's like what it felt like a little bit. Like we were like this. Of course, this is happening. Yeah. Damn. It's, you know, I'll tell you, Kenny, it's both of us having worked at a agency have seen many a project, many people's quote unquote spending money they don't have yet. Right. I mean, that's just clients and what have you. Um, and, you know, when the whole when when Sleepy Hollow was happening for me, even literally until it was picked up, I was like, this might not happen. This might not happen. Like you just you have to you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. And, and yeah. at the same time, in the back of your head, you're still like pretty fucking cool if it did i well, mean you you're need, just like it's that's just the nature of this business you definitely need a few experiences of close but no cigar just to kind of get you to understand like what this business is about those but, are my first experiences i i i think that way until the i like i sign the ink is dry i pretend nothing is happening i don't tell my family anything's happening yeah. until you know just for these kind of examples like my experience has been like, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Oh, this thing happened and it's not, and nobody cares anymore. So, yeah. oh, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it, I, if, if I did, I mean, this is just how it goes, but like every project that I sell, the first thing my mom asked me is, so when's it going to be on TV? I'm just like, well, yeah. maybe never, maybe that's never. That's why I'll tell never. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, that's just what it is. But I mean, listen, it, it what's interesting, and this is a, a, a somewhat of an interesting segue to the Jewison of it all. Cause I do think that, so Norman Jewison um, is a Canadian filmmaker. He's a, an icon of Canadian filmmaking. He created the Canadian Film Institute, which is, or Canadian Film Center, I believe, which is a huge film center in Canada to, to, you know, uh, obviously build new talent and find new voices and what have you. And he's, he, he's really, first of all, he's still with us, which I, I, which is wonderful, but he's like almost a hundred years old at this point. Yeah. Shout out to that. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately that. to Wikipedia. That one. I think he's, he's real old. Um, I think he's in his nineties, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm wrong. He's Am I 96 wrong, years old. Yeah, there you go. So, wow. Man. When he gets 99, you ask him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have all 99 year olds yeah. for our last episode. Uh, that's, that's hysterical. Great. We should. Um, but but it's he's he's one of those guys who has really pushed the Canadian film industry to the next level. And people don't really talk about it that much, probably because a they don't talk about Canadian cinema that yeah, much. Yeah, because I'm hearing you say that. I'm like pushing what. Canadian what? Well, I mean, he listen, I, I think that there's any number of, of filmmakers that I don't know if they necessarily got their start at the Canadian Film Center, but he has really helped the industry for um, for for context. Phil is yeah. Canadian. Yes. Sorry. Oh, OK, Christian, I don't know. If, I don't know if you that picked that up when he called his mom his mom. Okay, yes, got there that. you go. <laughs> I was wondering uh, and I, I say about. pop, not soda, but yeah. Um, so I, I do think that what's interesting about this movie, and we should sort of, we will unpack Jewison's career as a whole, because I think it's a kind of a fascinating career. But what's interesting about this movie is how long you want to make it for. I mean, this guy, he, almost a decade of sort of pushing this, this boulder up a hill. Um, and... You know, Kenny and I kind of teased this a little bit in last week's episode, at the end of last week's episode. But you know, um, he was he wanted to make Malcolm X. I don't know if uh, Christian, you were aware of that, but he developed Malcolm X with Denzel to star in it, and then Spike Lee, understandably, took some umbrage with that, saying that you know a white Canadian might not be the guy to talk about Malcolm X, and Jewison reasonably backed away from the project, um, and you know, didn't make a big stink out of it, but you can see echoes of Malcolm X in this movie um, and yeah. sort of how, 
it's just interesting how a decade of developing this and kind of Malcolm X concurrently, how these two films sort of speak to each other. What's I think the, Malcolm X is a better movie. How but. many years of difference did they come, come out? The release? Uh, well, seven is when Malcolm X Yeah, they got seven years. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So this okay. might have been sort of in the, the quote-unquote fallout of Malcolm X, this project lands in his lap. And, and the Canadian component of it obviously speaks to, to Jewison too. But I just, it's, it's, it's kind of a fascinating, you know, confluence of things. Yeah, um, I didn't know about Ruben Carter before this. I didn't really know much about him either, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, I was like... Um, yeah. okay. I knew, you know, I mean, before the movie, you know, Bob Dylan wrote the song the hurricane about him which i didn't know was and, about him i felt so, oh really so stupid saying that so I'm i was so or i was like a big dylan fan or remained a big dylan fan yeah, always yeah. you know always thought the hurricane was a you know kind of a you know corner like like maybe not one of his best songs but kind of one of his cornerstones of his like later career and um yeah so Ruben carter in the you know 70s 80s was a big cause celeb among you know dylan and then they they show burst bursting in the movie and jewison was on you know kind of the front lines as that as as that of that as well Ruben carter wasn't wasn't like the greatest boxer of all time by the way he was a good boxer right he was a good boxer he was kind of a local hero um and he was you know it seems to be he was framed set up for murder by you know this character that dan hedaya plays in the movie doesn't have the same name as the cop who did it but there is a pesca Stella Pesca, yeah there is a there is a, a direct analog to a guy another cop who kind of you know, was was all over Carter for, you know, his, his, his whole life and trying to set him up. And eventually, it seems, uh, got him. So, you know, I the hurricane was even, you know, kind of, you know, uh, divorced from the Jewison of it, divorced from the Denzel of it, was one of those major biopicy type move and especially because he got exonerated and there's you know hold that that whole element and released from prison was one of those major biopicy type movies that people were always kind of like when are they going to make the hurricane when are they going to make the hurricane mm. um and then you know denzel got involved it was like obviously denzel's gonna play him who else would and uh it was a big deal at the time i mean it was really it was one of the tentpole movies i think of of 99 from a you know, movie star making your movie star performance thing from a, you know, finally we're getting the, you know, one of these major biopics that we've always kind of, you know, kind of wanted and expected. And, and I I don't think it, and released right in the sort of that peak Oscar window of like, definitely. And definitely asked one of the big things I was going to ask you guys, is like, I don't really have a cultural context of like when this came out, like what the world was looking like and what this movie meant to the scene, just because like I was just not paying attention to that sure, scene sure. yet. So, but I had, as I was watching it and like as I was gathering these elements of like, okay, this seemed like it's a pretty big deal. There's Bob Dylan song about it. There's all these people marching for it. I'm like, this must have been a pretty big thing that I just like don't know about. So, this is good backstory. <laughs> it was definitely a big yeah. thing. I mean, by at this point, he had been released and, you know, it's obviously it happened in the movie, but uh, but, you know, just in terms of like Denzel, right? Yeah. Denzel kind of spent his 90s more or less, I think, in a lot of movies that were Oscar adjacent or movies that could have gotten him an Oscar. Right. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, he got one in 99 in 89 uh, for supporting. And just a few years later, he's playing Malcolm X 92. And obviously, I think we, we think he should have won one for that. 
He's in movies like Philadelphia where he easily could have gotten a supporting or a, uh, or, or even a lead actor nomination yeah. in that movie. I think people who go back and watch that movie um, feel pretty strongly that, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's doing a lot of heavy lifting in that heavy film. Um, even a movie like the Pelican brief, you know, like weirdly, if you look back at these John Griffin movies, they got nominations for people like Holly Hunter, Susan Sarandon. They weren't really strangers to nominations. So he was even like devil in a blue dress, courage under fire, I courage mean, under fire for sure. 96 was a big movie, which is mm-hmm. yeah. woefully underrated. Like well, I, I, also a movie that I think people were talking about. I think there was this idea of like, when is Denzel going to get his best actor? trophy best actor trophy and that went all the way until training day when he got one for a best supporting role for for it was obviously a supporting role but whatever um and this was definitely like the i think this was the one where people were like all right the perfect marriage of timing um uh character plus uh screenplay director theme a moment i think people really thought that this was going to be the one and he did get the nomination but the but at that point, that was one of those Denzel nominations like that he gets right. all the time now for movies like Fences or, you know, uh, what was the one about Esquire? Roman, 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 Roman J. Israel, Israel Esquire. Esquire. Oh, yeah, yeah. He gets you these know, nominations for these movies that really aren't going to get him the win. Even Macbeth, you can you can throw on, onto that pile. Yeah. But this was kind of the beginning of that, I think, where people were like, ah, OK, totally. interesting. Because I, I, think- I, I had some hair raisers about Denzel as an actor, like while watching this. Well, I guess who won that year first? Who won ninety nine? Well, this, is, this Kevin is Spacey. The Kevin Spacey, American Beauty year, which is oh, sort of like. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, not K-Pax. Obviously, Kenny and I have uh, litigated, relitigated American Beauty on here many times. Um, <clears throat> that movie was just so unstoppable. I think that, you know, hindsight being what it is, I think most people agree that it should have, you know, either been maybe Denzel or most likely Russell Crowe for The Insider, um, and, which feels of the five nominees, maybe yeah, of the five. I, I feel like people who are looking at class. the year. Yes. I think people are kind of gravitating towards Tom Cruise and Eyes Wide Shut, but that's just me. I just yeah, watched that I mean, movie. who wasn't even oh, nominated. The best. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it is. It's you like really maybe I mean, Damon and Ripley or maybe Damon and Ripley. Yeah. Who is the fifth nominee? Why am I drawing a blank on it? It was it was uh, Farnsworth, mm-hmm. Denzel, mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe. And then I'm forgetting who the last one was. Um, That's so funny because I've heard of all these movies except for until Kenny mentioned it, Hurricane. So I've seen mm-hmm. everything. This is the this. thing. It's wh- who is it? It is Sean Penn for Sweet and Lowdown. Yeah, we could pretend that was We probably could have crossed that one off too. I, I mean, it's it, it's a weird year. Um, I say all of this just to say that I think that had American Beauty not been unstoppable, I think this has a much better shot of getting Denzel the best actor on the uh, win. Mm. Well, maybe. But the other thing I would say is like this ultimately didn't. Sorry. So, so now let's we can really yeah. unpack yeah, yeah. this movie within the context of this year. Yeah. This movie didn't fit into this year, Correct. you know. Right. So this We're movie not is groundbreaking in any real. This way. movie is a is a 1994, 1995, 1996 type movie. But by 1999, you know, the the mainstream had moved to things like American Beauty, and then the fringes were doing things like a, being John Malkovich and Eyes Wide Shut. That yeah. essentially, you know, a middle brow crowd pleaser, you know, kind of you know, totally. racial amity, you know, touching upon this stuff, but not really getting into it. Like thing that really lived in the nineties was a little passe at this point. 
So I think in 99, this movie didn't play particularly well. In 2022, I think it plays much better, honestly. Yeah, it does have a lot of like, there there was a lot of elements of it that I felt were kind of like tiptoeing in like pushing the envelope and like, I don't think you can tiptoe for too long, like in anything, like with when you're trying to get like a message across or like just, you know, tell a story. You have to like tip a little bit and then like dive in. But I feel like there were some things that kind of like went back and forth on. Maybe that was the edit. Maybe it was the performances. Uh, like the Canadians as a whole, I thought like because we didn't like dive more into like what their situation was, it did seem more like a little white savior at points. But they also oh, yeah. touched but they also touched on that a little bit, but like not really enough. And I wanted to hear more about what that dynamic was, what their mission was. It's a and- pretty milk toast movie and i don't i don't i know that sounds harsh i don't mean to sound harsh but like there's not i mean listen roger deakins shot this movie one of our greatest cinematographers right now and this movie looks completely bland um the, all the canadian stuff which you referred to christian which i agree does not really pop the three of them don't really have much personality um it's and, and part of it is the screenplay which feels very much like there's certain things as biopics want to do of like hitting certain points of a man's of a person's life. Um, so it, it doesn't really get into the meat of anyone outside of Ruben or the kid whose name I'm forgetting. My apologies. Lesra, but Lesra. I think Lesra Martin, but I think this is a, I, I, I think maybe I'm on a different kind of wavelength than you Phil. I don't know about you, Christian, but I think the, the, the story that you're given with the hurricane mm-hmm both with Ruben and with Lesra and the Canadians is pretty unique. Like it's a pretty wild story that they distilled into something that was really kind of digestible for, you know, all audiences, but the Ruben stuff, you know, is in some ways kind of, unfortunately a classic American story about, you know, the railroading and, um, you know, kind of false imprisonment of black man. Right. Um, but, you know, stuff that is kind of undertold and, you know, necessarily like incredibly like kind of devastatingly heartbreaking. Um, so there's that part. The part about the Canadians is like truly crazy. And and this is all true. Like, yeah, you know, I'm saying like it sounds like a crazy even the Lesnar stuff is crazy to me. Like crazy. Getting, the letter, getting the letter back is crazy. And like we never they never really dove into that. They just kind of like showed it. And you have to just believe it because you're in the middle of the so, movie by that point. You're like, oh, I guess this is crazy. We're just believing it. So, yep. uh, yeah. So I want to, yeah, I want to break this down a little bit. So you have the the hurricane stuff, which is, you know, all the stuff we knew. It's all the stuff that is Bob Dylan sung literally tells the story of what happens in this. And it is, it is, you know, biopic stuff. And it's, you know, kind of A leads to B leads to C. It all makes sense. Let me just run down what happens in the other half of this movie. Lesra Martin is a 16-year-old kid from Brooklyn who can't read. Randomly, he he winds up hanging out with Liev Shriver, who's a Canadian house flipper. He lives with two other people. They are in a non-amorous thruple. They live in the same house, a two, another man and a woman, and they, yeah. and they and they flip homes together, a beautiful house in Canada. Somehow they're able to wrest this child from his alcoholic parents, bring him to Toronto, a different country, and homeschool him because they see potential in him. 
Yeah. Okay, that's stuff we don't even see. But and there's that the one thing. point. Where they I'm say, not, but I'm not even done. I just, okay, yeah, go ahead. I just, okay, go ahead. I just want to say one quick thing, which is everything that you're saying, Kenny, is fascinating, right? Like it's crazy and it's weird, and it is played in this movie so straight. Flatly I know, I know that you're just like I don't. Well, I, you're the, unengaged. There's a little bit of it, like with Ruben being like, Ruben like looks at this yeah. situation and he's like, wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> the brother to Toronto? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't remember if it was Ruben or like Lesnar's parents, but at some point, one of them go like, and the two of them live together, three of them live together, and someone's yeah. like, yeah, and the other character goes, oh, I get it, and I was like, really? Because I don't get it. Do you? <laughs> all right. So, so all right. That's all the that's the backstory that we don't see for the don't most see. part, right? Then, <laughs> then like Lesnar can't even really read yet. Liev Triver takes him to a used book sale to teach him like books are great. He pulls out of the 25 cent bin Ruben Carter's manuscript that, or, or autobiography, I guess, memoir. That, by the way, like th- that getting published in and of itself seems like it could have been its own movie, but we only get one totally. scene of that. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, so we got two things. That was the first scene where I laughed, by the way. Like, sorry, I just, I laughed a lot of parts hey. of the closet, but that was the first where I laughed. But that really happened, right? He really yeah. dug this thing out of a. Yes. That's, that's like a fucking Harry Potter. You would, moment. you would, you would like, I, I feel like I'm saying so many things that you would just laugh at if it was in a screenplay, just, you'd be like, no, give me, yeah. he pulled it out of a fucking bargain bin. Okay. So he pulls it out of a bargain and buys it for a quarter, quarter. one Canadian <laughs> quarter. Um, and Lesnar Martin's like, eh, must not be much yeah. of a book. Yeah. Um, he, he learns to read, reading this book. He gets inspired by Ruben Carter. He writes him a letter gets a letter back and through this you know through this correspondence they become like you know almost like surrogate son surrogate father at that point at that point we get into the movie and that's this stuff isn't that weird and this is actually like this the parts where it would have been all right so from here on out i think this is where the movie really suffers from being directed by a white guy Mm. because at this point you know yeah, like Denzel or Ruben Carter is is a little like kind of, you know, uh, a little hesitant to trust these white Canadians. And he says it and there's definitely stuff in there. And he says to another prison inmate, basically um, everything that ever happened in bad in my life happened because of white people. But like, that's a line that I'm guessing Ruben Jewison was like, look, we got to say it. You mean, Whereas, you like, mean Norman Jewison. Sorry, Norman Jewison. Norman Jewison. <laughs> no, no, Norman Jewison is like, yeah, that seems right to me. But I think a black filmmaker would have been like, no, let's dive into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? They got that. Like, that. thank God the other actor in that scene was kind of like helping hold that shit down because, you know, that helped out. But I definitely agree. Like, those were the moments where I was like, all right, like dive in here. Like let's give the rest of the film some fucking context because we need it from you, bro. We need to hear this pain right now. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean the, the thing is, this movie is truly held together by Denzel Washington's performance, right? I mean, of course, the, he's, he's, a, just, he's a he's a killer. Um, he's unbelievable. And Ruben, he's not so, Denzel is. Yes, right. yes, correct. He's just he's he's so insanely watchable and charismatic and human he just radiates all of the things that you want in a movie star um and he clearly cares very much about this role and about this character about this man um and you feel that in every scene he's in like i I, despite the fact that there are 
machinations happening around him, some of which happened, some of which didn't. We can get into the accuracy a little bit. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into that stuff because as far as I'm concerned, biopics, there's a disclaimer up top. You know, it, it's you, you use a person's life as a jumping off point to some degree in order to tell the best story that you can. Your job um, isn't your job it, isn't to it's, tell. It's, it's, not, it's not to educate. Yeah. It's not a yeah. documentary. Yeah. Your job is to tell a story that, you know, kind of captures the spirit of what happened or did, frankly. Right. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I think that this movie, again, it, it was. You know, it was dogged a little bit for some of its accuracy. There was a lawsuit, in fact, by the as, boxer. As but. was the, uh, you know, as as was the the style of the time yes. to yes. like hold everything up like against the you know encyclopedia entry. Be like, <laughs> not no, I don't know about this. <laughs> and, yeah. and sometimes, you know, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes there are movies that I feel like um, are. And the movie comes to mind, and this might not be a fair comparison, but A Beautiful Mind is a movie for me that is um, making some choices of what to leave out of this person's life that are significant. Right. Like, uh, that, that, two that two really, pretty big things they left Two out. pretty big things, I would say. That, that I think... What they leave out of mind? They left out that he is homosexual. Correct. Okay. And they left out that he is an anti-Semite. Correct. Oh. So, you know, it's hard to. <laughs> so it's tough. <laughs> yeah, how convenient, like, right? Very convenient. Whereas, like this movie, for instance, there are people that feel like uh, his, his time in the military is shown here that he left the military as a hero when there were some people that felt as though he was sort of dishonorably discharged a little bit. Um, and there's the fact that he did have some run-ins with the law again nothing to the extent of which he was obviously convicted mm-hmm. wrongfully so but there are people that feel like and i'm not one of them particularly that feel like had that been there we wouldn't have felt as much sympathy for his situation again i don't think that those are fair th- accusations at this film but i do think to kenny's point you know biopics of of this nature you know oscar Beatty biopics tend to cherry pick sometimes in order to make the role seem more majestic than maybe they were. This is an example of I that. think they're a little, I think this movie in particular is a little protected by the fact that he was actually exonerated. Correct. You know, like the fact that he actually was exonerated means like, well, look, like clearly we're telling the story of a guy who was wrongfully accused. We have like the fucking state of New Jersey, but I guess it was a federal case. We have the United States of America backing us up here. Like yeah. come at us. Right. The ending, yeah. the ending yeah. saves the movie completely. Cause you go on so many ups and downs that like, I, I was pretty exhausted by the third act. And I was like, all right, man, like, you better pull this off. Like, it can't be like a, it ends and 10 years later, he was exonerated on like the screen. I can't yeah, do one of those. You better pull this off. And you better show me how this shit happens. Yeah, so the ending definitely brings it a nice, warm ending where you're like, okay, this was all worth it. But the ride it takes to get there, like, the tonality shifts are just like, for me, were kind of exhausting. No, and it's a fucking long movie guys it is it's 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 too long um and it's not to say that that there's anything in it uh that i would have necessarily pulled out other than air like it just feels like there's just scenes just kind of go on a little bit too long it you know what i mean it's not as though there's whole cloth stuff i would have pulled from it but like this movie just could have been 
heightened by 15 minutes yeah, 15 I didn't, gen- or mm-hmm. 10 minutes anyway. I didn't really dislike it as much as I think. I don't think you guys I didn't, disliked I didn't it. it. I liked no, it quite well, I liked the movie. I liked it quite a bit. And I, I and I alluded to this in, in, you know, our lead up in the last episode. But I think from I think it's it's fascinating from the perspective of Norman Jewison. Uh, the guy who did In the Heat of the Night, which was kind of the first movie about racial relations in America that won Best Picture. And, you know, that's that's about, I think, Sidney Poitier plays a, a, a cop from California yes. who has to go down to like, I mean, I'm just guessing. Like, I think it's oh, Louisiana. I, I watched it. it was one of the AFI 100 movies. No, but was it Louisiana? That yes. he, yeah, so it's Louisiana. Louisiana. And he's dealing with it's Rod Steiger, right? Or it's Roy Scheider. It's Rod Steiger. It's Rod Steiger. It's Rod Steiger is the uh, is you know the the racist cop down there, and together they have to solve a murder. And it's obvious to me that Norman Jewis in his whole life has been a and I don't I know this sounds like faint praise, but like a self styled progressive warrior who has looked upon the country to his south as a place of great unrest and probably i think has said there's just a few things we could do differently here uh to help this out one of them is maybe everyone could just be nicer to each other um and i i think that like i i think it's interesting that he found his avatars in these three canadians who are essentially perfect right they are like essentially flawless characters um, you know, I mean, by 2022 standards, maybe not in the way they've interjected themselves into Flawless characters who could afford to just like, hey, we moved. We're yeah, really we're just out here because we're great house flippers. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was by crazy. I wish I would have said something about that. By Go 2022 ahead. standards, like they are and by probably, you know, standards in general, there are people who have interjected themselves into the lives of two black people, you know, without being asked or invited. Correct. Um, But. For the best of intentions, with the best. Yeah, but in the the context of the film, they are white saviors. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, and I, I, you know, I'm trying to be generous here. I don't think Norman Jewison views himself that way or views these characters that way. You know, I think he just looks at it as, oh, isn't this an interesting story? Yeah. Isn't but that's where, like background that's where background on who those three people are would really come into play. Like, if, 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 if after. Uh, Lesra wrote the first letter or was about to write the first letter, if they would have went back and had a, a side of themselves and been like, ooh, this guy's he's writing letters now. What do we think about this? Like, like, yeah. Let's see who these characters are intimately without them being around Lesra. I think we would have been like, okay, we can give them a little more credit for like the actions they're going to carry out. Well, I totally so much, agree. I, w- I, one scene without Lesra would have done just one, just yeah. so much work. But yeah. So much of that comes from this idea that I think Jewison wants to sell you. Which is, and it's, I, I don't remember which character it was, I think it was the other inmate, which is basically like not all white people are bad. Right. And it's the idea he wants to sell you by, by, by not giving them any interiority, not having them have one conversation, which is, Directly is it a great, is it a great idea to have this 16 year or 16 year old adopted son hang out with a convicted murderer? Because right. like, what do they know? Right. Not only that, like it would have shown like maybe they're not the most like enlightened people when it comes to race. Right. And like fucking who is, you know, right. and that wouldn't like have destroyed the characters that would have yeah. given them 
that would have, as you guys are saying, that would have given them dimension. And it would have shown to me at least that, and I, I, I know it's not the fairest thing to do to equate the filmmaker with, you know, who, the characters I see as his POV, char- POV characters, but it would have made me think that maybe Jewison has integrated his own role in American racial politics, which you don't just get to sit out when right. you've made in right. the heat of the night. Yeah, but here's the thing. You know what saves him though through all that shit, and I think it plays in the film too. Is like the 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 beautifully naive hospitality of like Canadians are just like, oh, everything's gonna be fine, right? Like I think it's like there's a beautiful side to it. Just like, what do you mean everything's gonna be cool? This they are straight people. Like, like that's who the characters were. And I think he probably didn't notice that. Just that's who he is, and then it's like that's it's like a whole thing. Yeah, he's. I mean, the reality is he doesn't seem particularly interested in interrogating Canada in any real way, um, which which is fine i guess but i think it's fine because america sucks right and if he chooses to if he he chooses to train his train his sights on on america that's okay but you know i mean why would what's wrong with canada phil I'm not, I don't mean to suggest that there's much. That's to a, th- I know that sounded like a return no, no, no. question, but it was a real question. <laughs> no, What's I, wrong I with Canada? Phil? Well, <laughs> there are things that are wrong with Canada, but I, I think that within the context of this story, um, to your point, I don't necessarily think that uh, looking under the hood of Canada would have done him much justice or, or helped anything. But I do think that um, these three Canadians feeling like cardboard cutouts doesn't help. I think that giving them some interiority and, and just a little bit of a sense of who they are as people um, would have gone a long way towards at least just understanding their headspace a little bit outside of just like, um, we're just, we're good souls and we just want to do good things. Um, yeah. But so, because I don't realize that that's so different. Like, you have to have the yes, like we want this and we don't see that everybody else doesn't want this. I think that plays yes. into like, Emphasis of the characters. There's even want- a moment when uh, they're when they're trying to piece when uh, Leif Schreiber and uh, Deborah Kara Unger are going kind of door to door, knocking on people, witnesses, or people that were sort of tangentially uh, involved in this investigation. And at one point, they are, they're talking to some woman who's like taking her laundry, and she has no interest in talking to them in any way, shape, or form. And she just kind of says, basically, like "fuck off" and go away, and slams the door in Leif Schreiber's face. And he just smiles and shrugs, like like water off a duck's back. Like, oh yeah. shucks, just another. <laughs> it's like it's just. I mean, it's funny, but it's also just like they're just unfazed by all of this it seems right and that was one of the scenes too where it's like what's the guy's name again norman director you said norman Jewison. he he threw so many things into this movie like like you guys have you seen uh the fassbender rendition of steve jobs i think it's just called jobs yes yes yes. steve jobs like i love like the 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 precedent that set of like look if you're gonna do a biopic make a choice you either show everything and you find a beautiful way to weave together or you show a few big things that tell you who these characters are you don't have to see their lives you just see these moments in their lives and you, and i feel like normally the other way where he put like everything, everything. that was in yeah. here kitchen was, sink yeah it's, yeah it's it's cradle to grave stuff you know what i mean where it's just like you can't really capture an entire person's life in the span of two two and a half hours like i think I, there are some great biopics that have somehow thread that needle and done it but i think malcolm that- X being one of them, Malcolm mm-hmm. X being one of them, that, that you just you truly feel the enormity of that person's life. Um, th- this movie is weirdly kind of gets into the the minutia of 
his various trials and the various things that were going on in his life and also tries to have the scope of this entire person's life. I mean, that's just really, really hard to do. Yeah. Um, I, I want to give just a little bit of context for people that haven't seen the hurricane. Uh, Denzel Washington stars as Reuben Hurricane Carter, a man whose dreams of winning the middleweight boxing title were destroyed when he was arrested along with another man for the murders of three people in a New Jersey bar. Wrongfully accused Carter and John Artis were sentenced to three life terms in prison. The hurricane opened on December 29th, 1999, against Stuart Little, Toy Story 2, The Talented Miss Ripley, Any Given Those Sunday, and The Green Mile. So yeah, Those are real... all hitters. <laughs> against really Green Mile. Stuart Little, guys, Stuart Little was huge. <laughs> uh, we did, we, we did, we did every all. movie yeah. on that list, right? Uh, it would go on to make $74 million on a $50 million budget. It's got 83% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 87% from audiences. Andrew Ebert gave the film three and a half stars. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of his review where he said, this is one of Denzel Washington's great performances on par with his work in Malcolm X. I wonder if the hurricane is not Jewison's indirect response to an earlier controversy. Jewison was preparing Malcolm X with Washington when Spike Lee argued that a white man should not direct that film. Jewison stepped aside. Lee made a powerful film with Washington and now Jewison has made another. The hurricane is not a documentary, but a parable in which two lives are saved by the power of the written word. We see how his own reading strengthens him. His inspirations include Malcolm X and he See, and we see how his book, which he hoped would win his freedom, does not. Uh, because of its initial sales, readers, and reviews, but because one kid with a quarter is attracted to Hurricane's photo on the cover, and then the book wins Lezra's freedom as well. This is strong stuff, and I was amazed after feeling some impatience in the earlier reaches of the film to find myself so deeply absorbed in its second and third acts. Until at the end, I was blinking at tears. What affects me emotionally at movies uh, is never sadness, but goodness. I'm not a weeper. And I've really only lost it at one film, Do the Right Thing. But when I get a knot in my throat, it's not because Hurricane Carter is famed or loses two decades in prison, but that he continues to hope and that his suffering is the cause for Lesra's redemption. I mean, great review. Me too, by the way. I'm not a weeper. I only cry with good stuff for the most part. I tend to as well um mm. but this is i listen I, I agree with everything that that ebert is saying in this review i think that um it's all really powerful stuff i mean my my issues with the film have very little to do with what it wants to say and what it's trying to do um it, it it's it, it truly it's just and you you really kind of hit the nail on the head kenny earlier this is a movie that fits so squarely in the early to mid 90s biopic yeah. thing it's that I just, uh, yeah it's it's there's a part of me that was just like um We've obviously covered over 250 movies from 1999 up until this point, Kenny. And I think that we've seen the breadth and and the swings that movies took in that year. So it's understandable why this film, Denzel's performance aside, you know, might not have really struck a chord in the way that it might have if it came out in 1997. I think Mm -hmm. it would have been massive in the early 90s. I think it would have been like... Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, this is a very turn of the century like pool of stuff that like there's still some elements we're figuring out how far do you step i will say though this i always have like a kind of like a one or two word description for like those big lead actors and actresses who kind of play these like similar roles and i finally figured out what denzel's like native american chief name would be after watching this one i think denzel a lot of the characters he plays what we get from him every time is secret wisdom he comes Mm -hmm. on this character He's always like brash. You don't know what it is, but he's got something in his head. You don't know about it. He's got something up here. Always secret wisdom. And this was like the epitome of Denzel's secret wisdom error. That's also, so interesting. I, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think that um, as I was watching this film 
uh, near the end of the movie, uh, there's his Oscar clip. And I don't know if you remember what his Oscar clip was, Kenny, by any chance. Um, but it's the scene with him and his lawyers. And he basically is saying, you know, I've lost 30 years. And oh, is it, is it that- him in the, in the, in the courthouse courtroom? No, no, no. It's him behind glass with with the phone. And he's really using the phone as a prop. And he's pushing it against the glass. And he's just going like, it is full Denzel. Like, it is just the the quintessential Denzel moment. And it's powerful. And it's great. And it's theatrical in the... He understands the modulations of it. Obviously, they wouldn't be able to hear him since he doesn't have the phone to his mouth. But that's neither here nor there. There's just something about what he's doing within that sort of minute and a half where i'm just like of course this was his oscar clip and of course that's why this is the guy to do this yeah if he's losing it i think you see that in a lot of denzel's performances too it's like you know it's the herman boone when i remember the titans is like when i think maybe after his house gets the brick in the next day the office he kind of like trashes his office for a second and malcolm x he has that moment where he's like sitting there writing and he just fucking loses it on the paper like with this secret wisdom type characters comes this moment where like you just break because you've been holding it all in for so long and it seems very Mm -hmm. it's very tan it's a tantrum it's very childlike and you don't want to see someone who has the secret wisdom ever hit that point so they always fucking hit and no, he's it's always just, fighting back, te- not always, but he's like fighting back often. tears. He's fighting yeah. it all. Sorry, sorry, Kenny. Yeah. No, I, it's funny because I, when he's not doing this, yeah. I find it very freeing. And the movies I'm thinking of where he doesn't have this like secret wisdom, as you say, Christian, to me, first one on the top of my head is Inside Man, where he's chasing the movie the whole time. So you know, he's chasing that. He's chasing that yeah. story the whole time. He's not ahead of anything. He's not ahead of anything in uh, another one is he got game. Where he's being played the entire, then the whole movie is about him yeah. getting played, um, and he's behind it. And there's even another one on top of my head, taken to the Pelham One Two Three. He's not quite as you know. I think Secret Wisdom character. is still in taking Pelham One Two Three. He's maybe still, a little he, bit more. Yeah, yeah. And those he's kind of characters, I feel like he his character feels like a guy who like could have been the upper hand mastermind, but just took a left turn in life. Like, cause and he does win, ultimately. Man, he's very yeah. aware he's losing, you know? He's very aware he's one step yeah. behind and stuff. Yeah. Inside Man's kind of my favorite one of those, but uh, I, I don't know. I like the idea that Denzel is not... Oh, it's not like the smartest Same. guy in the room. It's like, it's just, it, it's more like, ultimately, he's the guy in control, mm-hmm. you know? ultimately he's the guy in control and that's how you know he got game is kind of amazing in that respect like really using the 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 denzel star power against him Mm -hmm. so i want to um i want to ask a question about the bob dylan song for a second i'm so glad you brought that up i love the song uh i i if i'm being completely honest didn't know it was a bob dylan song i don't know bob dylan particularly well so i i take that take my licks on that um this song for me is the needle drop in Dazed and Confused when they're walking into the pool hall. It's mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey in slow motion with this song playing. Um, it's burned in my brain as that moment. I've obviously seen that film innumerable times. Uh, it is a phenomenal song. Yeah. Um, is it, what does this song mean to you, Kenny? Like in terms of take, taking the hurricane component out of it, does it have any sort of special meaning to you or 
Do you think about any, like, I'm sure it's been in many movies. It's played no, less it's, than three times in this film, and it works every time. No, and I, well, I don't know how much I love them playing it, uh, to be honest. It, 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 it feels like fan service in a weird way. The it, multiple it plays, does. the multiple plays yeah. is kind of funny. I, I like, I'm not crazy about that. For me, uh, Hurricane the rights so, to the hurricane for the I, hurricane. You're gonna play it a bunch. I mean, like so many, you know, so many kids in high school, I was, you know, a greatest hits kid. So it's like time to learn about Dylan. You grab the first, you know, he has three volumes of greatest hits, Crazy. and one and two are, you know, all the big songs that you know the you've bangers. heard over and over again. Yeah, you know, it's it's blown in the wind. It's you know, it, it's um those songs. <laughs> It's all the famous ones. It's Rainy Day Women. It's all that stuff, right? Um, and then uh and then three are a little more of like it's a little three's a little bit more long taily because it's not from like you know Highway 50, Highway 61, and it's not from Blonde on Blonde, and it's from like it's like Tangled Up in Blue, and it's the Hurricanes on Three, and like Visions of Joanna, and like you know, uh Leperson's Pillbox Hat, like these songs that like I think are a little cooler, but like it took me a lot took me a while to kind of get into that stuff because the ones on the first two are the ones like you grew up with they're ones that are played at yeah. you know campfires so hurricane on that on that three is to me the most accessible song on that album by quite uh by by, by quite a margin mm-hmm. and uh i loved that song i you know i am the kind of nerd who made a list of my hundred favorite songs of all time in high school and made CDs for each one, uh-huh. and it was on the top ten of my uh, my favorite that's songs amazing. of all that. time. Oh, that's a pretty that's a pretty close that's proximity pretty up, to the man. song, man. The yeah. Song. yeah, I yeah, no, I I had I, I think I had a I had four like seven minute plus songs in my top five. I thought that was like the the pinnacle of, of songwriting. It was like that. It was like Stairway was on there, mm. of course. I love a good eight minute song. Uh, yeah, November right. Rain was on mm. there. All uh, songs that you slow dance to at a at a, at a not for seven dance. minutes, bro. But yeah, so I put I'm I put just, a lot I of mean, yeah, maybe that was I, me. I, I actually now me. going back to it, I think Hurricane was number four on my list. I think it was wow. like. I think I liked this song that much. I thought it was the coolest song. You played the way you delivered that, Kenny. Was like you were gonna like kind of shit on it. I and know. Then it's just you're like so. you love this song yeah. so much. No, no, I, I really do love the song. Like I, I mean, you know, now it's not quite the same. These ballads about these ballads that tell stories are a little exhausting to me at this point. Um, but it was kind of thrilling, you know, the whole thing. And then as a boxing fan, you know, Bob Dylan even cared about this stuff. And, you know, as a nineties kid growing up in the suburbs and liking rap music, anything that melds white people and black people in harmony makes me very happy. So it's just like, it all just kind of fit for me. Um, and now I think it's a good song, but it's, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a protest song, right? But it's, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a light protest song. And in a way at the time it was educational, you know, it was like, it was like, we got to yeah. bring, it was, a, it was, a, that's Dylan though. It was a seven, of course. And I, yeah. Lo- and yeah, and it, it was like, it was almost like a seventies way of amplifying shit. Sure. You know, like that was, it was, it was a reach, reach from Christian Pierce. Hey, there you go. Love that. Bob Dylan, Christian Pierce. Wait, I, I have thoughts because when the song first yeah. came on, because they play it in what, like the first five minutes of the movie that comes on, it kind of takes us yep. into the movie, like really. Yep. Well, I want to hear what you think of it first, Philip, and then I'll tell you what I I mean, about it. truthfully, I, uh, you know, 
again, I'm, I feel so, so ignorant about, uh, about this song outside of the fact that um, I've always really liked it. It's always stayed with me. I think that like Bob Dylan's great songs, they're, they're just really powerful and melodious and kind of stick with you and get in your head. I mean, listen, as we've mentioned, this song was played three times in this film. So there was no question that, you know, all day yesterday, all I had in my head was that song. Um, it's a great song. And I do think that, you know, Kenny, you just kind of said it yourself that, you know, um, I'm a sucker for storytelling in, in music. Um, that's not to say that that's, that's all that I love. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take a, a, a poetic song any day of the week. That's just sort of, you know, emotions Melodic. and feels yeah. and all that stuff. But, um, but how beautifully and succinctly Dylan tells this story in three minutes. I mean, Jesus, I mean, tip your hat to him. Right. But what, what, what I think, you- God, the more I talk about this film and now I know I can put a name that this guy, Norman, who directed, it, I feel like I just know him personally, uh, <laughs> but I think the song is, that was my first time here. was in this movie yesterday when I watched this. I hadn't heard it. Maybe I have heard it. My first time really paying attention to it. And I watched the movie with subtitles too. So like, it, you know, it says Hurricane by Bob Dylan. Or actually, it actually didn't say Bob Dylan. It just said Hurricane playing. And I heard Dylan come on. And I'm listening to the lyrics as I'm watching it. And after like 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, this is a good song. I got to register. This is a good song. I see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But the placement, like the choice to put it here it was an uplifting moment because it was a very much, okay, here we go. We're diving into this movie. But I wonder, like, was that the best song to take us into this movie? Because the song is like, even though it's a it's a sad song, subject matter-wise, the melody is kind of optimistic. It's a little more upbeat. It's a little more like, oh, we're on this ride for you, which a lot of, like, protest songs kind of have. They kind of have this, like, we're here to fix it. Like, yeah. up, we're going to fix it, you know, melody. And I like that. But it was such a stark contrast to how black the beginning of the movie was to me. I Yo. was like, it was so black, and I was like, oh, I'm in, this shit's dark, right? And I already thought it was an interesting decision to, like, kind of have that flash forward with the jail cell and him and the dude Jimmy. I was like, oh, it's already interesting, I'm into that. And then the song switch up was a different, a whole different tone. I'm like, okay, so maybe this is, like, a much bigger budget, more widespread audience Hollywood film than I thought it was, because it just got really mainstream all of a sudden. So I, I think you just nailed it. And I think that, and I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the problem with this film. This film, by the way, I got my Dylan shit all wrong, but uh, <laughs> the ones that I said were on three were not on three, but um, three is even more fucking. That only bothers you, Kenny. Only someone yeah. who loves this shit. Big so time, big time. Uh, I think you just nailed it because I, I, I think you I think you hit on what the problem with this movie is. It feels like an adaptation of a song. Mm, and yeah. ultimately yeah. it feels yeah. like that they i mean not the stuff with lesra which is you know gonzo weird stuff but it, it it feels like we're gonna make the movie of the dylan song and uh that does kind of wow. it does kind of you know fight against this movie and it's why i keep thinking like in a sense, yeah, it makes sense. And there's so much by the space way, in the story, and there's so much yeah. space in the song too. And I, I do want to reiterate: I like this movie, I like it a lot. But what I what, what keeps feeling, what what I keep kind of feeling with it is like, 
we did kind of do this with the song and ultimately like you're not really doing I, I, you're not doing much beyond that you're telling the story about the Canadians which has to be told because it's so weird and so important to his, his exoneration and you're telling the story of like the second part but like it does feel like there's this amazing song about this amazing man and this amazing thing that happened and now and now it has a happy ending and let's you know put that on and let's let's tell let's tell the story whereas if and you know i know people not people not people who listen to this podcast but some people you know think that you know at this point there weren't a ton of black filmmakers who were working um there were not a ton but there were other guys beyond your spike lees and john singletons who could have taken this film on who did devil in the blue dress um god uh franklin uh, yeah, Carl Franklin, Carl for Franklin, instance, yeah. Yeah. could have done an amazing job, yeah. amazing job with this movie. And it would have been, you know, that, that would have been an interesting kind of counterpoint to kind of the co-opting of the hurricane story by our, you know, our, our, our most famous 60s and 70s progressive, quote unquote, radicals. And maybe I, the quotes... I, I want to sort of, I, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I do just want to take a quick second just to kind of uh, talk Jewish in for a second, because I do think that part of the issue too is um, he's kind of, I hate, this sounds shitty to say, but like he's on the downslope of his career, right? His career, he was very big 70s filmmaker. Um, his first big movie was probably- oh, so He was super soft at this point in life. Yes. Oh yeah, he's yeah. in his sixties at this it, point. But like uh, Cincinnati Kid, the Russians are coming in the heat of the night. The Cincinnati Kid affair. Uh, Cincinnati Kid was Peck and Paw. You know that, right? Cincinnati Kid yeah. was Peck and Paw, and then um, What's Peck and Paw. Sam Peck and Paw, the director, the did yeah. uh, Wild Bunch and yeah. Pat Pat Garrett and Billy and all that stuff. Straw Dogs and he Straw Dogs, and he was on it for like you know a short period of time. And then they gave it to Jewison. Like he. Yeah, and he, but was, it's you know original Thomas, Thomas Crown, Crown yeah. Fiddler on the Roof, Jesus Christ Superstar, oh, uh, and and Justice for All, Moonstruck. This is when he's like killing it, right? Moonstruck, as you mentioned uh, at the end of the last week's episode, Kenny was sort of like, "Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?" Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high end brands. And the best part, they're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. you know, the final kind of thrust in terms of like 
what can I do with this big Oscar movie that he got? Moonstruck yeah. being a masterpiece. Um, and then he does In Country, Other People's Money, Only You, which is actually a, a, a sweet romantic I, I I love Other People's Money too, by the way. Yeah. I mean, like, these are, these are pretty good movies. Um, but I think that at this point, I don't want to say he's lost the thread, but I just feel like there's nothing particularly... There's no vision to this movie is really ultimately what it comes down to. No, that's, but that's a problem. But, you know, which, it's, which is crazy because without the vision, sorry, like I still think yeah. it's like such a such a successful, it's not a bad movie, such a well done yeah. film for yeah. something that was like lacking, for lack of better words, like that black friend in the room to kind of tell you halfway through to be like, hey, you should probably shift these two things. Like it still got finished. He still told a good story. Totally. And Zell still kills it. Like it was still well edited in part. So it's like even without that vision, it still comes together well, which says a lot about yeah. The production. This, and, and, it says a lot about the subject matter. It says a lot about the performances. I mean, listen, no one is doing a bad job in this film. Just to be a but, I don't. I don't think below well, the line. Well, and well, 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 hold on. Uh, <laughs> who's doing a bad job in this movie, dude? There's one person who did a bad job. And he fixed it halfway through the film. I don't know what their order of shooting was, but I bet you I could fucking guess by this guy's performance. My man Bachella Shannon, who played Lesra. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no, was, no, no, no. I didn't want to single it out, but you're, you're not wrong. You're not but wrong. But Chellis Shannon, the first moment I laughed in the movie was the first time he comes on camera to go to the to go to go the bookstore to get the 25-cent book. And I don't know who the fuck <laughs> told him what a Brooklyn accent sounds like. Uh, I know, I know, I know. It I know, sounds, I know. Like, it sounds ooh, like he ooh, was ooh. trying to impersonate the guy who... Played Biggie Smalls in a movie. I was just gonna say impersonate and impersonate. Oh man, it's like are you trying to be young LL Cool J? I thought he was trying to be like fucking old pretty bastard. Yeah. Guys, I paused the movie. I paused the movie. After just one second of him talk, I paused I said, no way. I pull out my phone, I IMDB, I look him up. I go to YouTube. I type in Michelle Shannon interview. I says, no way this motherfucker actually talks like this. And I pull up an interview and Sherlock's like, yeah, well, you know, when the film first got to me, you know, I love the story. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's like, look, there's no problem. Obviously, you're an actor. Put a fucking performance on. But make it a little more authentic than, like, cartoon character it's, Brooklyn Bullock. Has he Bull. done much up until this point? Forgive me for not knowing his filmography. See, I, I but, IMDb like, I've not seen him before or, if I'm being <laughs> honest, since. But I he... I'm gonna. I'm not gonna defend anything you're saying because you're saying obviously it's absolutely true. But I'll just say this. And um, funny, there is there is something very genuine about him, not his accent, but what he exudes that yeah. works. Like I do think that he feels like a real kid, um, despite the fact that unfortunately his accent. Once is out, but once again, hey, but once again, that's Norman though. He should yeah. be like, hey, you know what, dude. Just use your regular voice. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think it'll play. I don't think anybody else would be like, nah, yes, he's not from Brooklyn. There's no way. I don't think anybody would have said that. I'm telling you, all it, yeah. I think Norman just needed a black friend on set to be like, you know, I think just tell him to use his regular voice there. Yeah, and that would have been right. it. It would have yeah, lost the balance. But Michelle Shannon, and then by the end of the movie, it's a different voice completely. It is. It is. I, I, the so, only other performance that I do want to single out for a second that, that I, 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 I'm not sure that I would say is bad necessarily but dan hedaya in this movie very cartoonish yeah and dan hedaya has one one other role in 99 where he plays richard nixon in dick Dick. yeah and he's better in that (laughs) Um, he was very cartoonish exactly 
That is, yeah. Don't he's a cartoonish laugh. guy. He's yeah. a cartoon. Like he, yeah. he. Oh, he's he's like a he's a larger than life. Yeah. I'm sorry, like Italian stereotype, you know. Well, once like, again, though, once again, though, I think there's director choices or editor choices to like when how you play him. Because I remember the, one of the first laughs I had in this movie also was like when they, you know, when the framing is happening, they're in the hospital and the gunshot wound is like oh trying to identify God. him, and Delapesca comes out of the shadows, you know, out of nowhere, and he. He's again, like, it's like you're trying to get me again, Delapesca. Gonna happen, and he's like, <laughs> Delapesca in a room full of people. It's like I'm gonna get you, black son of a bitch, and I'm gonna pin this on you. And I was like, did nobody else fucking hear this in the whole operating room? It's everything. Plan everything. I was like, is he a fucking cartoon? I'm gonna, I'm gonna frame you right here for this murder, you black son of a bitch. You're going down. Oh, <laughs> and by the way, like, oh, that's the role through the whole movie. It He's is. just saying it shit is. out loud. In but that's where Norman was time. probably like, mm-hmm, this is it. This is the real one. <laughs> well, the I mean, the, of course, because this guy, it's so funny because he is like so uh, like dead set winning this Oscar. That's how I yeah. feel about this whole movie. And the, the like the, the gross <laughs> part about it is like two years later, Ron Howard does this with Beautiful Mind, wins an Oscar. You literally have Green Book four years ago doing the yeah, same shit. Yeah, yeah. Win an Oscar. Like it's like we're his his, his aim was true. You know? yeah, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, it's a very Canadian thing. Bad year, I, but you I know, just, I could just see him filming that scene in the operating room, and then Colin Cut and Norman coming in and being like, like "Oh, he's gonna fix the that line." He comes in and goes, "Make it more Italian." <laughs> well, it's. I mean, here's the thing, Danadea, who I love, genuinely love, right? What Dan else is he? He's, I mean, he, was, he was he's Carla's stuff, husband right? on Cheers, which is how I first saw him. Okay. And then he's played roles similar to that for his whole, like, he's just, he's, yeah, well, he's in, he's, yeah, he, he's that guy. He's, he's that in guy. Clueless. Yeah. He shares yeah. that like, of in Clueless. He's in, uh, comedy suspect. He could have played, uh, Kardashian lawyer, probably. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I think that he's one of those guys who you go to for a certain type of thing. It's why he plays Nixon and Dick and he's great. Yeah. At. Yeah. It's and it. This is just not in his lane. So what we're getting is a, 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 like a, a comedic point. Dan Hedaya performance. Yeah. In a very non-comedic role. And it just it just doesn't work. Like when he. He's yelling yeah. at the Canadians. He's like, basically, like, go back to where you came from. You don't belong here. And yeah. of course, the Canadians are like, shocked that anyone. Wait, hold on. They don't, that is, does that even come full circle? Does he ever like hurt them in any way? Or like, no. that, what well, was the point do, of the threat? Well, we we do. They do imply that the when the tire comes off the car, that that. Oh was, right, right, right. Oh, it was tire. Okay, so it does. It does come. So, the but but it is just sort of like. Hadea just isn't he doesn't and ultimately he doesn't even really in the third act he's sitting in the courtroom and he's just yeah. kind of like chewing on his lips yeah. he's angry okay even more cartoonish yeah. to have him there just like yeah. you know, just, it's, just, yeah. it's all just too much and and yeah. I would argue that had the role been cast with and I don't want to say like someone dramatic because that's not fair to Dan Hadea but someone who could have the gravity right think about how many scenes he's in that strain credibility on the page that might have just worked in the hands of an yeah, actor that I could have brought that. it. You know what I mean? And, 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 and I, I actually say it now, my bad, Kenny. Now that you say it now, I'm thinking like Della Pesca, that character really is like the embodiment of like, you know, the corrupt side of white America at the yes. time. You know what I mean? Like it, it was Della Pesca versus Ruben, the whole movie, really. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Which turned to be, you know, later it was Ruben versus himself. 
but because of this outside influence. So I feel like there, I don't know, maybe it was more about playing those two as like kind of head to head enemies. I couldn't like separate. No, that sure. would have been more poetic to me. Maybe I don't There's know. There's also, no, I, 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 like, I, I, all I was going to say was, I don't think this movie was equal to that task. I just, I, well, sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't think this movie was. Really- but it had the pieces, though. Yeah, no, it did. Yeah. It did, and I, I, it, it, I just, I don't think that it was. And this is true with the. It's, it's ironic. It's all the white characters, but it's true with the Canadians too. Archetypes, just yeah. surface yeah. archetypes. Um, I even, you know, even if like, because a uh, pussy from uh, from the Sopranos shows up in this, yes. uh, as as a, as a criminal who and and a, a, essentially a rat. Um, even had he been given the Dan Hedaya role, I I, I wonder whether it's funny because I was thinking, it. what if it was Gandolfini? Because if it was Gandolfini, sure, yeah, it would have exactly. it, it would have yeah. broke the movie. I mean, Absolutely. he's just he's actually menacing, you know. Yes. And yes. that was that's kind of, that's part of. Listen, this movie has issues, I, I, but I do think that in particular, this was just that particular role, which, as you just said, Christian embodies so much of the thesis of this movie and that it was just a little too caricature. It really puts the movie on shaky ground when it comes yeah. to what it's trying to say. It, it's so, you it's know. a lot. It, it, the movie was a lot. You know what I mean? Like it was a lot to yeah. conquer. Well, just on the page, even like mm-hmm. it must've been just a lot of shit. Like, I feel like, I don't know who said it earlier, if we would have just cut, four or five scenes and spent a little more time with these characters would have made more sense. Like one of my biggest things I don't like with any kind of storytelling is like, if you're going to sh- have a villain show why the villain is villainous, yes. like let them what do their thing, motive? let them be bad, but give give us something that lets us to the other side of it. Like it's not going to let us forgive them. Yep. It's just going to yep. give us, it's going to make it more real for us. And he was well, just, that's a cartoon villain. You never see why they're villainous. It's just, well, it's, it's, yeah, traps. It's, it's just, it, his only motive was racism. And, and again, I'm not suggesting that that's not, you know, an important thing to speak of, but like, I just felt like he was a mustache twirling villain. Like, yeah, just, he was and, so and passionate, just, clearly, even yeah. passionate about being a racist. It's like, all right, like, let me get something. Like, let's let's see some kind of like why you're like this. Tell us something about Ruben. Why do you hate him so much? It was just like hate, 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 hate. Which, you know, but once again, this seems like I just met Norman an hour ago with you guys. But it <laughs> seems like a very Norman thing. To do. Yeah, it, it, well, I think because I think he it's. It's weird. I think that like I think there's a really interesting movie to be made about a Canadian, maybe named Felisco, who has to come down to America and deal with <laughs> deal, deal with the fact that he's you know neither a white American nor a black person, right? And 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 how yeah. and how to grapple with the fact you know that that he benefits from racism but isn't the perpetrator, but also you know hey, that's actually a privilege. Good, that's a good story. It's like it's it's a guy who's actually colorblind. Who sees everyone as like the same color? He yeah. just can't deal with that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good character. Oh, that right that there. would be hard. I, but it's I, uh, when the the how how would you know to, who to avoid, Christian? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but uh, that's why we do comedy, guys. But what I was gonna say is like I think he looks at De La Pesca's character and says, what else do I need? We know what these racists look like. Totally. I, I, and, and I, I, in part, I fault him for it. And in another sense, I just think that seems very much like of the time and a very, you know, a, 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 a very like a, a very, you know, kind of uh, widely held view among white liberals, which is like, mm-hmm. 
this isn't us. This is them. Like, mm-hmm. we all know what they look like. That right. they put the racism out there on Front Street. They're the worst people in the world. Like, I don't need to give them anything else. I don't need to give them, like, a, any motivation or, you know, any pathos because, like, we know these folks. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing That's now. Like, perspective we, giveaway. Yeah, we, I agree. Yeah. We do it yes. now. We, we don't talk. We don't talk much. We don't talk much about why the bad people in America, who I've talked about on this podcast, often are the bad people in America. I just they're the bad people. They're fu- fundamentally broken people, and they probably would have made for interesting characters. But I think. I mean, I, I think it's a modulation thing. Obviously, in terms of just, I don't mean to defend it. I don't mean to. No, defend I know it you're not. not. No, no, no. I, I feel I, you. I agree with you, Kenny. Good. I I'm curious. So I mean, Denzel was attached to this movie. It, it seemed as though for quite some time he wanted to work with Norman Jewis, and as did. Norman want to work with him, but apparently there were two other actors that vied for the role, which was Wesley Snipes and Samuel Jackson. Ooh, different movies. Different I knew about movies. Jackson. Yeah, well, Samuel Jackson is now that's a comedy, and <laughs> West, Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Though, I don't know what that is, and I, that's not to not to denigrate Wesley Snipes, but maybe he maybe he could have done it. I don't know. I think Wesley, it's different. I Go think ahead. Samuel Jackson's movie would have been great. Personally, yeah. <laughs> I think it would have been great. I I love him in the in the mode he would be in in this movie sure. potentially. God loves that secret wisdom though. Yep, he has that secret wisdom. Like Samuel Jackson definitely has like a, I think for 85 percent of the things you need to play this role. But I think Denzel ultimately was the best choice. Of course, of course. Yeah. But he I feels good. I think the movie with Samuel Jackson plays. I think the movie with Wesley. <laughs> Uh, a man I love and have all the faith in the world uh, would have been a much heavier boulder to push up the hill. What about Lawrence That's Fishburne? a heavy lift. Yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. I think Fishburne yeah. could have done it probably. Killer. It would, maybe it would have been better than Denzel. I, yeah. You know, I the, the other thing that I found really interesting, uh, so Denzel trained for this movie for over a year for the boxing stuff. That's um, smart. <laughs> that's my what? thoughts on it no there's the a lot there, stuff, there's a lot where, of boxing where, where in was it? that yeah but where was the, stuff was not i didn't great. see a year's worth of training on screen no way you give me a year i'm i'm fighting i mean logan paul obviously kenny you love a boxing movie you, of course you're, you're a big boxing guy i love is, boxing, boxing, and boxing movies. movie doesn't it's not bad. It's not bad. I've recently so I recently saw the uh have you guys seen it online? The blocking of the Stallone uh and Carl Weathers fight in Rocky no, One. No, no. no is crazy? These guys are amazing. Like yeah, the, no, no, no. They, these guys they... the, I mean Stallone's doing it all on the fly and they like amazing shit. <laughs> that and the other thing I just saw that like blew my mind, not to get too too far uh a field but have you seen tom holland do the spider-man shit without yeah. the amazing yo th- this guy is yeah. all i thought was when i saw that is like finally like we have an actual movie star again you yeah, know yeah. like an That's actual like do kenny you see me climbing rocks and shit i know i know <laughs> gotta get you under a mask same no i mean but, I, yeah but so you're saying the denzel training or that it felt like real I thought it looked good to me. I thought it looked black good. and white. Like the stuff, aesthetic yeah. touches of it was really cool. I yeah. like. It did feel like we were in the sixties or fifties for a second, yeah. whatever it was. It just Yo. wasn't very visceral, is the thing. And I do feel like, and listen, it, it's tough. There have been a lot of unbelievable boxing movies, right? Where we've, mm-hmm. you know, even just recently Creed, which did such an incredible job with the boxing footage, that that you just it. it this just felt a little bit like yeah okay I guess this is a this is a mid tier boxing movie boxing sequence from 1999 like it this is a mid tier boxing movie hardly even a boxing movie yeah. um the boxing's incidental to be honest it only it is. is 
it's only interesting in that like boxing is a sport where before there was you know before the um before the uh you know the leagues had their color barriers broken uh black guys in america were able to just kind of punch through any barriers right now they still were they still dealt with a ton of racism like jack johnson did um death threats and all that stuff but he was champion of the world and you know in the 1920s so you know the reuben carter you 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 couldn't stop him you couldn't stop him if you wanted to if you can i wanted to see more of that yeah i want to see more idiosyncratic boxing like i think like just if you're not going to show boxing that much more, then make the scenes you do show very idiosyncratic. Make it like, why is his style? Why is he called the Hurricane? Yeah. Like I didn't because he boxed. Like I wanted to see more Hurricane visually. That also would have made the stakes higher when he's in jail because you're like, damn, he had it. He had an yeah. X factor. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But I did. I mean, I do like the idea that like the boxing for him as an athlete, it's a solo sport. I think like a lot of my friends who I have now, like who are athletes like I was most of my life, like there's a big difference between the ones who did solo sports, boxing, skateboarding, just track and field versus the ones of us who did team sports, basketball, football, soccer, whatever else. And I think there is a different mentality of people who play solo sports and they do tap into that. Like I'm all on my own mentality much quicker. They want to handle things that way. And that's kind of what Ruben's thing was, right? Like until he found the Canadians and uh, what's the dude saying? The kid. Oh, no, Lezra. Until Lezra, like he was super solo. And you see when he's like yeah. fighting himself with those demons. So I do love boxing as a centerpiece. I just wish I would have seen a little bit more. No, I agree. It's, it's, I was personally very surprised we didn't have more boxing in this film. Like when it opens the way that it does, I was like, okay, so we're going to get a, bu-. especially when I knew what its running time was, I assumed that we were going to get a fair amount of boxing. We didn't really. Um, the, the other casting that I thought was a choice was Clancy brown playing another prison warden um i, I after shot is, that the, is that jimmy oh no the warden yeah jimmy. Warden. Okay, yeah yeah no 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 no, no not like, the warden that's jimmy no jimmy yeah, yeah. jimmy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah and you're just Love like him. i I'm, i can only assume that uh that someone was like well but you're a nice prison guard this time. <laughs> yeah and it's 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 a little bit just sort of like i mean i love clancy brown uh and he's amazing in Shawshank um, and really like terrifying and, and harrowing. Like he's great. And he's good in this. Like he plays like, listen, Clancy Brown's got range. He can play. I love a nice Clancy guy. Brown. He can play. He's great. I love uh, nice. I don't know that he's given much. I, I love this. nice Clancy Brown though. I think. Yeah, 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 me too. He was yeah. great. I wish it was a little bit more of that too. He was, like, I mean, uh, when we, when we had him on Sleepy Hollow, he was lovely. He was in the pilot. He was in, and he just a, absolutely just a, a stand up great guy um, who uh, loves his work in the sense that like, he loves to talk to you about whatever he's done. You know what I mean? I, I think that he's just, uh, I, I wish he just was given a little bit more in this. This was just sort of like, yeah, he's a nice person sure. guard. And then he's there at the, at the, at the, the you know in the courthouse at the mm-hmm. end and he gets a nice moment and that's kind of it um yeah. which is a bit of a bummer but like you said you know. sink sinkful dishes like there's just so much shit you yeah, can't really... it's like you can't there's just you can't, yeah. you can't hit it all um i also want to talk about um something that i liked or a sequence that i liked um was ruben refusing to wear the prison uniform um and and how that whole um just that that whole sequence and thinking about how he stood his ground, refused to be dehumanized and and become a number, refused to sort of become part of the system, and how like mind blowing and groundbreaking that must have been in its moment. I just can't. Yeah, let's talk about that. But also, did that? 
did that like change the prison rules? Because at the end, everybody's in street clothes in the prison. Did you notice that? That's interesting. I, I, I but know they don't talk about that. Like I, I still in like because my man with the dashiki on, who we talked to in the cell. I'm like, oh, he has his own clothes on. Yep. And I see yeah. Ruben with a different set of like kind of clothes on, and then I see people in the like when he leaves, when he gets out. There's like a younger dude towards the front of the cell. He's fully street clothes. Yeah. So I'm like, well, did this change the rules in the jail? Yeah, when they when it. they announced it at the end, everyone is sitting there in their street, standing in their street clothes. Yeah. Which, by the way, announcing that to the prison over the PA, I don't know about that, that move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't like. Well, wait a sec. Wait. Like, yeah. Like the guards, I would assume the guards of the warden have control over the PA system. Like they're happy about this. That I felt agree. very. Um, what's the movie with? Is it Gridiron? Not Gridiron Gang with Adam Sandler as a quarterback. The remake. Oh, uh, Longest Yard. Longest it felt Yard. Very yeah. Longest Yard when they announced it over the PA system. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, all right. Yeah. I. But I just. I felt like that to me. Again, I like that they didn't underline it too much. You know what I mean? But but I appreciated. That's the stuff that I that I liked about this movie and liked that it that it did we've talked about the kitchen sinkness of this film but like that's a type of thing that might not have made the cut of another movie right of him pressing to have his you know making sure that that he didn't wear the uniform and the way he went to jail his sort of you know his the, the way i just i don't know there's a part of me felt like this is special this is specific this is this is something that that is so you know specific to ruben's life that i love that they shined a light on Mm -hmm. um you know what i mean and i wish there was more stuff like that and a little less um i don't know just story functory stuff story stuff yeah i mean i i I even love just sort of you know the first scene with ruben and and lesra um is really lovely like their scenes together are really nice. Yeah, that's what Denzel's and, and he really he is right, and he's yeah. and he's bringing it because he knows a who he is as an actor to this young actor. It must be yep. just bringing his a game and making you know that actor up his a game as well. Like they're just those scenes, and I think they have maybe three of them together, maybe four in the film. Those are the move. Those those are when the movie really sparkles for me. It's also the stuff that you see Denzel tends to direct himself to, right? Like this, the movies that he's directed tend to have that type of very sort of grounded, mm-hmm. charactery, mm-hmm. bordering on theatrical in the sense of feeling like you're watching a play. Right. I mean, that sort of stuff is just really beautiful, and that's when you feel Denzel really in the pocket. Or at least as though like the movie really comes to life for him. Mm-hmm. It, it's that stuff. I just I don't know. Really love those. Things. Yeah, he really he felt like to me. I realized also watching this film, he feels like a black dad to me, mm-hmm. and like in the sense of like who my father was to me, and also who just like adjacent black fathers that I know, like my friends they grew up with, just like caring so much at all times, and at moments you see pieces of it, the real emotion kind of seep through, but it. If you look at him with that kind of context, I think you'll kind of go on every scene. You're like, oh, he's bottling something in. And every scene, he's holding something in. Every scene, he's holding something in. So you have this scene like with Lesnar the first time. It's almost like bringing a puppy out that you like fostered. They're kind of like testing, smelling the room out to see, you know, because so I saw very human hints of, is this a safe place for me? For someone who we've seen yeah. has just been, you know, felt like a machine his whole life, who feels like he's invincible. He's a weapon. 
but it's still testing the waters for like, is this a safe space with this kid for me? And I think those were very humanizing elements. And I think Denzel, I think he plays black dad better than anybody else. Like carries that weight and trying to hold it all together, but slips up trying to be a man, trying to do this and that, but keeps taking L's. And those moments where he has this vulnerability, like you said, Kenny, the moments where he's not on top, where he's kind of behind. I think those scenes with leisure were the couple of scenes we saw that in here, like where he kind of loses his mm-hmm. shit. And so it resonates. I think Denzel is just the best. When I, I, you know, I would even say too that it's what makes the ending work for me. Um, when when they're in the courtroom and he's exonerated, and seeing Lesra like leap basically over the and and give oh, him a great. big hug, you're just like, yes, like these two are the beating heart of this movie. These two are the ones that I love and I care about, and that I get to see that happen. Everything else, and I don't mean to you know to generalize too harshly, but like everything else feels a little bit perfunctory to me. Like it's these two and, and it's what you were saying, Kenny, about like what's so special about it's why you tell this story the way they told this story is these two individuals and the quite frankly, bizarre circumstances that bring them together that allow them to sort of find this internal freedom together and external freedom together. That's really special. That's really wonderful. Um, and when the movie's honed in on that, it's beautiful. Um, but it's got so much other shit going on too that it's just, it's, it, it, it yeah. That's when the movie really Yeah, this movie could have just taken place with Lesra and Denzel. There's another version of this movie that's like just his visits to see Ruben. Yeah. And then you kind of hear about what's going on the outside world. Yeah. Just break down his life in that way. I totally I th- agree with you. Yeah. you know? I, I think that I think they were a little hamstrung by the expectations of this movie in sure. a, in the, in an, in ninety nine in the nineties for this kind of movie. I I think to do a Jobs version or something like that would have just been so unexpected and in, in this particular moment and i think it would have pissed people off for who sure were, who were expecting an adaptation of a song which yeah. I, I really think people were i i absolutely agree with you kenny 100 percent. i i you know this this speaks to everything that you were talking about earlier kenny about sort of the moment this movie lands right it's a moment when it does feel like the biopic for all intents and purposes had a very sort of strict this is what you do when you do a biopic, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you do it all, right? And I do feel like now with the limited series and with Steve Jobs and what have you, you have these opportunities to kind of even Lincoln, it. even Lincoln, uh, even the dropout, whatever it is, right? Like finding ways to deconstruct and come at it. I mean, Lincoln's a perfect example, Kenny, of just sort of really honing in Taking on a moment. Lincoln's one, this one thing and using that as the prism with which you see the entire or like, you know, things that like, you know, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of talking against myself, but there's only one guy who, who did it at this time. Like what, what Oliver Stone did with his biopic ish things, sure. You know, these, these, you know, video essays about the subject or, which are unconventional, um, but are also, I mean, Nixon is what we're talking about. Like that's a, that's a cradle. That's a sprawling, but that's very, you know, that, that's, that's very impressionistic. And then, I mean, also like, Craig Gillespie, what he's done with his yes, biopicy yes, things, yes, like we've yes. we've blown up like what it means to Absolutely. deconstruct a, pro- a public figure at this point. And the thing that we don't do mm-hmm. is the cradle to grave, is are the you know, yeah, the, the Gandhi's, you know, that kind of stuff. No one's, uh, at, I, but I would argue that it's. I mean, if it was going to happen, Lincoln was 
probably one of those figures and it did you know what i mean this, this i'm agreeing with you like it's, just, it, no i, I know it's it probably won't anymore yeah. for some period of time i mean I, I mean i do wonder how uh how nolan's going to approach oppenheimer for instance I mean, um I imagine it'll focus on the bomb and that period of sure life. yeah but yeah. but who this guy is why he wanted to yeah. even create that thing yeah. there's a version of that movie was made in the mid-90s early 2000s where Absolutely. you're going to do great little grave on that Absolutely. and even something like look i i you know i wrote or i'm like currently shopping what i would consider to be you know a modern biopic but you know we have one scene from childhood and then it all you know all kind of takes place in the guy's adulthood it's closest to the rookie and if you guys or Rudy, mm-hmm. and if you guys remember the rookie or Rudy, there is a whole a full fucking act in both of those films sure. that take place before like the the action of the film. Right. Um, things have just changed a lot, you know. So well, I think it's interesting, you know, Kenny, you and I were texting about this the other day. Um, you know, the 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 two biopics that come to mind that weren't necessarily as bold as they could have been. Uh, perhaps people versus Larry Flint and man on the moon were two biopics. Oh that, yeah. That old fashioned did pretty old fashioned, but also a little like kind of trying to push a little bit at it. Like I do think that their unconventional subject matter gave uh, Alexander and uh, Kazuski an opportunity to kind of come at it a little, I mean, at the very least it's a fractured so- narrative and they're doing kind of a little bit of something. those movies are both great and also both missed opportunities. They would have both been amazing if made in 2022. Uh, the other biopic that needs to be mentioned right now is Elvis, which is oh, I just yeah, I just watched that. I missed the last quarter, but I watched 75. That is the that is that to me. That is the and I, I I love I, I obviously love that movie. I wonder movie. how much I miss because but I got feelings about oh, the seventy five percent I watch because I love Bass. You, Bass yeah, me too. Bass. I, I love Bass Lerman. the best. Yeah. And uh, that to me is the is you know almost a deconstruction of the deconstruction, right? 100%. That to me, yeah. that to me is a. a, a let me put it this way, not a deconstruction. It's a reconstruction of the deconstruction, right? Absolutely. He basically took the, he basically took, I think like the broken pieces of the biopic structure and put it together. But like, it's not the same, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's not like that cemetery. Like, yeah, it's exactly. It's like, it didn't come back the same. which I fucking love. He's like someone who, I mean, this is how like, this is how like, like a, like a 19 year old to do. They'd be like, the biopic is broken. No one fo- focuses on yeah. the whole life anymore. It's all, you know, they, it, they, they'd be like, why does it anyone show Cradle to Grave? We've never seen that. So they like take the broken pieces of like I, Tanya and all these films and put it back together and you get fucking Elvis, which is the well, fucking. Yeah, I mean, through. Did you like it, Lerman's- Christian? Sounds like I mean, a no. I, I. Sounds like I turned I, it off after. I, I, I loved it for all the things I love Baz for. Like I, I think Baz Luhrmann's one of the he had to be one of the first directors that me as like a you know just wanted to want to make movies watched his work and was like, whoa, this is different. Like this feels different. So I have so many like emotional attachments to his work, which makes it tough because in the first like twenty five minutes I watched this movie, I was like, damn, okay, this is how he's going. <laughs> this is how he's going about it. Like once again, it's just like. 
just I think like and it just goes for everybody like if you're going to tell a story where like I think race is part of the dynamics or anything like that's like a parallel to race whether it's gender or sex or anything like that like bring someone on board who can help balance out your perspective that you trust enough when they're like hey I think you should do this you're Mm -hmm. like oh let me let me really shift over I think because like you you'll you'll protect yourself from being I think just corny to be honest like you don't want to be corny because corniness is ingenuine a lot of times, disingenuous. So like, I felt like the first moment that I laughed, at, I hope other people laughed at this shit too, Elvis. Which, and I know it was supposed to be kind of comical, but I don't think it was supposed to be comical as bad as I thought it was. Where they first hear Elvis's music on the radio, they're all uh, he's around. black. It was like, oh, he's white. Sorry, he's white. He's, he's white. <laughs> <laughs> There's like three. Well, it is it supposed to be comical, bro. Yes, it is. Come on, though. Like, he it do is. It like that. I don't think he meant. But to, it's also to like it's it's Tom. Uh, listen, I actually quite like that. Wait, wait, that way. I, I want I want to speak to that moment real fast. Yeah, yeah. That's like my favorite moment of the movie because, like, be, 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 because, like, for like fifty years, that's been like such. That's been such a a, a comment on Elvis. And the the it's 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 like it's this weird thing that you that that I think people expect you to say, um, but Paz I think correctly realizes there's nothing else he can say about. But that's why. But that's why I agree with you. I think they had like a you know I, they had somewhat of a task to like address that and like you know the other task is like be cool about it, be artistic about it, and I think that unfortunately like it, it shifted my lens because he it was so derivative even though it was kind of comical it was still so derivative that it was like this is how i'm going to approach this and i think that scene is a good example of kind of how they continue to address that the whole time like ellis's influence from black culture and black music it didn't seem natural it seemed like they were like just so super cognizant of like let's make sure we tie those tie those connections between elvis and black culture let's Mm -hmm. make sure we do this that like some of the artistry and some of like the reality authenticness authenticity was lost like with that first line where he hears him on the radio i think it did something that a lot of movies do where um they dumb down a character so much that it's almost makes the racism forgivable and i think that's not cool i think where they definitely made uh tom hanks look like an idiot kind of there by doing that it's like oh it's comical he's so out of touch and he's and racism is so embedded in his like moral in his just fiber of his psychology that like he would say something like this, but then like someone like me is like, yeah, but he's still an, obviously a very intelligent, like empathetic human. He's just a bad guy. So I think moments like that make him more forgivable. Like it's so complex. Why? Yeah. Why is he emphasizing this? It's ridiculous. Oh, cause this is like the structure of society. But for me, it was like, odd. Oh, it's still like a cop out. I was like, don't give him that way out. Like make him smarter than that. I want to see him think. I want to see him like turn the pages. I don't want to see him say something stupid like this because like then you're making it seem like, oh, he's a racist. You know, he didn't see this. He was a racist. He just, this is who he was. He just didn't see it. And I'm like, we're, I think we just did too much. I think it was just too much on that nose. It made it too forgivable. And no one's out here to like fucking crucify Elvis or his manager in this movie. We're here to watch a movie. So like, you don't have to really prove to me that this guy was a good or bad guy in this way. You don't have to tell me like what kind of racist he was or wasn't. Like, tell me a good story. Like those those moments that seem a little bit derivative to me that they were trying too hard to focus on race, and because of that, it it just took me out of it a little bit. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I could I, be wrong. I, 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 no, I, 
I think I you're right. Disagree. I think you're right. I, I just kept turning I, to my girl was on the couch. I kept turning to her like, what? Why do they do that? Why do they do it that way? Yeah. You know, so, but it's, it other is than that, I love it. I love a lot of elements of it though, but go ahead. I, I, there's there's a lot that I really love about it. I don't disagree with what you're saying. And I do think it's actually an interesting parallel to the hurricane in terms of the way that, that they handled racism in it as well. I think that obviously drastically different filmmakers coming at mm-hmm. completely different stories. Um, and yet I would say that, you know, they don't, some of the, the racism isn't handled particularly. I mean, we talked about the Dan Hedaya character in, in, in the hurricane and how it's not handled as well as it could be. And that things get, kind of lost in the in the translation i think that you know again this comes back to we're talking about two white filmmakers we're talking and, and you said it earlier christian both would have benefited from having someone on set that could have helped them a little bit Get that black um, first ad telling you. <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I i don't disagree um so both not americans too true true um so it is it is it is fascinating to think about um what the hurricane might have been um, with just a, a, a more deft touch. I think I changed my mind again. I think I like the moment you hate Christian. <laughs> no, That's I think okay. it, no, no, like, I, it I was think, definitely fucking cool. Like stylistically, it was cool. It's not even I, that. I, I'm not down. For, I'm not here for the coolness factor. But when you, amazing. it's just when you said they're both not Americans, it reminded me why I liked it so much. He said um, it twice, though. No, I. It's, one, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, one, it, it reminded me. Cool. It reminded me why I liked it so much because it was <laughs> oh, boy. because it was just. No, I'm not trying to fight. It's no, just no. like it, no, please. It just, it just, I, let me see if I could, if I could put this into words uh, in a way that makes sense in my own brain. Basically, like, how the, the, the voracious appetite for loving and then stealing black music and black culture Mm-hmm. To me, was distilled so nicely in that one moment, and I do. I mean, I guess maybe I'm you know wrong and crazy, but like I do think that it is somewhat self evident. I think this idea of love and theft has has been pre- prevalent in our culture uh, since you know since slavery, yeah. and um, and I think almost at this point, like any any pathos that any pathos given to this character, any motivation, any even understanding of what or why is, is to me, at least it felt unnecessary. It felt like, of course, that's what he wants. Of like, of course, that's what he wants. You know, like any, like, I don't know. I I think like every, I think everybody kind of gets the like, 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 yes, of course, this is what this, German guy who dresses up like Colonel Sanders wants. Right. What's so. what I'm saying though, it's already you already have these kind of elements of it that are it's it's a Baz movie, so it's or, was it, is it Baz? Yeah, I actually Baz. don't know. Whatever. Yeah. It's you got this Baz movie that's just like it's gonna be a circus no matter what. All his movies are some form of circus. You know what I mean? So it's like it's already fantastic. The way it's shot is crazy, the way it's edited is crazy. So it's like I think when it comes to race, you don't need any extra you don't need to say it twice. I think like having yeah. everyone kind of turn their heads and you hear that, him say it once. And then the wheels start turning. Boom, we're out. When you say it twice, it just like jumps over the corny line. And I'm like, fuck, like, don't do this. Like, don't make it one of these movies where it's like, I don't want to feel like you also feel bad. Like, you don't want to feel like white guilt in a storytelling experience like that. It's like he's had to say it twice. And I was like, bro, we all know the story. We all know what happened. 
you know, there was moments like that where I feel like, and there's other moments too, I think like where Elvis was like in the black club too, that I like loved. I'm like, Oh, this is fucking sick. And yeah. the, but some of the dialogue came across a little bit corny and it was just the little things like that for me that took a little bit, like you're trying to make a statement and like, that's what's kind of taking away I, from it. Yeah. I, I think that me, I mean, I don't remember him saying it twice to be honest, but I think, I think, I think yeah. it's to me <laughs> a lot like the thing in hurricane, a lot like the thing with Jewish yeah. and like kind of washing his hands of what the Americans did. And I think that's what Baz is doing too, to some extent. Yeah, like I agree. Wa- I washing his hands of like what the Americans did here and feels like, and frankly, like, you know, I'm a little on the fence about whether he's allowed to say this, but feels like, like this is your, crazy shit you know like yeah and australians have their own crazy shit but this is your crazy shit what you've done in your in your country and you know i i i I, I, I know i like and and the 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 building the building of of elvis the myth making around elvis the you know the 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 crowning of elvis i think i really kind of i really think if a Colonel Parker or if an Elvis or if the media really wrestled or grappled with how much of it was stolen whole cloth from black people and black culture and black music, uh, it never would have, it never would have happened. And I think that having that there in the beginning, to me at least was enough table setting that you kind of knew this is all built on a foundation theft. I hear that. And I also think like there needs to be some kind of like context. We just place products on there. Like, I think the fact that these two dudes are both un-American has a lot to do with like the delivery of moments like that. Like you said, it's like, this is your shit. Get away from me. So it's like, this is a Canadian filmmaker's perspective. And like, that makes everything make a little bit more sense. It's an Australian, it's Australian, right? Yeah. Australian filmmaker's perspective. Like it's that separation. And I think that already makes it okay in my head. I'm like, all right, this dude's like has a little bit less in touch with it. Like I can see how this is their version of it. That totally makes sense to me. And it's um, not I'm watching it with my context. Though, right? Yeah, no, of course. And it's not like, I mean, the one that I really, you know, I, I always have my fucking guard up about this shit, too, because I really hate when it's usually European filmmakers come and make some big fucking statement about America and uh, think they can solve the problem. Like the one that I'll never get over is three billboards where I feel like Mar- Martin McDonough was like, solved racism. Right. Oh, be nice to the racists right. and they'll stop being racist. Like, right. Fuck you. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that movie's rough. That movie fucking sucks. And yeah. it's, it's so and crazy that Frances McDormand's in that movie. And I just say that because she's, she's obviously very attuned to like, she's such a smart person that I was just like, I guess she just was like, yo, role. I could talk about that movie all fucking day, but that yes. movie makes me think that a lot of the critics out there don't really engage with the fucking material because that right. movie, that movie had great reviews until the second round of people were like, wait a sec. This really is the movie you sweeping the yeah. yeah. This is the movie. Like, I mean, Green Book had a similar thing. Not quite the same. People were, people were a little eyes open earlier on that. Yeah. And I have my own feelings about Green Book, which are like, you know, that's a, different kind of thing but um three billboards is really like being like mark more pretend to be like well for, for my view over here like this is all you need to do at in least the middle of at your least fucking country movie is all about ireland so yeah well, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and what hurts those movies green book and three billboards it's like it's not that the movie just exists and is that kind of story it's that it starts to get all this praise 
that's what that's the problem. It's like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're saying this is the standard moving forward. Like, let's not set a trend with this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was Hurricane received like back in the day? Do you guys remember? Well received. It was very well received. Well received. I mean, it has like eighty six or eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But I mean, like when it came out, do you remember talking about with your friends? No, no, because it it because there it didn't feel like there was. In fact, now. I feel like there are conversations that happen in the movie that feel a little more groundbreaking for a mainstream film at the time than people maybe maybe realized then. Yeah. But um, but there were still like, look, I mean, Double and Double with the Blue Dress is leagues ahead of this in terms of you know racial conversations that happen in and around this time period. Which I've never seen that movie. Great. Oh, movie. you love it. It's a really good movie. It's, it's basically, yeah. you know, it's basically a noir starring film noir. Uh, Denzel. It's fantastic. It's really, really oh, this looks fire. Yeah. It's, it's okay. awesome. Um, um, so do you want to rate this, Kenny? Yeah, let's rate it. Can't so, wait to do uh, three Chris, billboards. On this podcast, we, we rate the films from zero to 99, zero oh, being wow. the lowest, 99 being the highest. Okay. Uh, we rate it before the podcast, and then we rate it after the podcast so we can see if the conversation changed your opinion on the film in some way uh, or another. We'll go first so you can you can ruminate on that for a second. But uh, Kenny, do you want to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? Because I want to, I wrote it down. I want to find oh, it. Okay. I think. Um, so I had not seen this film prior to, to watching it over the past couple of days. Um, so I kind of went into this expecting a, a, you know, uh, a boxing biopic. Um, and, uh, I, I, I didn't hate it. I, I really didn't. I know that I was a little hard on it, but I came into this at a, at a 74. Um, I don't, I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, I'm, I'm going to go up to a 78. Like, I think that it's, I think it is a very solid kind of, paint by numbers biopic on the page that is elevated by Denzel specifically. Um, and you know, the people around him to some degree or another. Um, but I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's a tremendous Denzel performance. It's a showcase of Denzel Washington um, who, I mean, I'll be honest, has really kind of never let me down. Like I've never seen a Denzel Washington film that I didn't like. Um, Cause he's always good. Like it's, it's true. Right. And he's always the lead. So you're just like, this is right. going to work. Um, so that's where I'm at. What about it's you? kind of amazing. I really never have it's, seen a Denzel crazy. movie. I don't like, and they're like, even I know people, uh, Christian, I wonder where you fall on these, like the, mm-hmm. the later Tony Scott movies, like man on fire and deja vu and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, unstoppable. Um, unstoppable is the one I, I really love the other ones i think like maybe would suck if it wasn't for denzel yeah like, I, particularly- I didn't see unstoppable oh, oh it's great that's the one right. fucking great like that's okay. just that that's just, just about a train they can't great stop. movie right man man, <laughs> man on fire like i feel like there's been a lot of revisionist history that people say it's like a, a classic but yeah, i yeah. i find it like and you know i love tony scott but like mm. it's a lot of tony scott right uh, all right, it's this movie. I, I yes. saw what I gave it. Look, I gave it an 84. Um, okay. and mm-hmm. I think I, I think the big difference I have with you guys on this film is I found this film to be like very watchable, mm-hmm. um, throughout. I think this is a nice, like, TNT afternoon type film, um, that I could come in and come out of most times. It has that, you know, it has like a score that's doing the work, it has Denzel that's carrying you through, it has this, you know, kind of a you know, like not a very heavy legal, you know, back backbone, but there's like enough, you know, enough of a legal kind of thing pulling you through that there's always this procedure going on that's kind of enjoyable. And I think like, I, I think this is a good film. Like, 
I can't keep in the 80s because I laughed too much at it with you guys. <laughs> so uh, after the podcast, I'm going to go down to 79. Let it be known. I like it just a little more than Phil, which is what I think I do. Just a little bit more. But 79, I think, is the right number for a movie that I thought could easily have been in the 30s or 40s for us, Phil. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. It's my turn. Yeah. All right. I think pri- prior to talking to y'all about this, like I... I got, I probably would have given this film a 74 prior to talking to you guys, 73, 74. I'm a Libra, so I'm going to just give a super balanced situation here. (laughs) And I think halfway through our conversation, I was starting to, you know, kind of appreciate things that I didn't appreciate. And I think I maybe would have, the highest I would have gone with it might have been out of 99. I could see the Canadian Normanness of it. And like the tall task it had and the clashing of tones with brooding Benzel and Bob Dylan, you like the, it's just the task it had to, you know, conquer. I could see myself going as high as an 85 somewhere in there. Wow. But then we can't forget my man, Vichelis' accent. That's just such a big Achilles heel to this film. Like, oh, I think I got to dock it, you know, five or six points for that. On the forgivable end, I'm giving it an 82. On the unforgi- on the less forgiving day, I'm going 79 like Kenny. So sorry, right. there. That sounds fair. I mean, listen, I don't think that any of us hated this movie. No. I think that no, we I, like it's it. a good I, movie. It's a good. It's movie. a good movie, and I yeah. think that we all feel like it left a little money on the table in mm-hmm. terms of what it was capable of being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still, I mean, I agree with what you just said, Kenny, in the sense that, like, I really didn't know if this was going to be just like pablum you know what i mean like i didn't know if this was just going to be just real kind of garbage for lack of a better way of putting it and it was certainly not garbage do you think phil you will have denzel in your five at the end of this podcast no you think uh, yeah i love denzel denzel is top what's that five what? well because so we're, we're gonna do our yeah. our oscars at the very end oh, of nice. all the movies that we've seen so every movie from we'll, we will have watched every winner per category yeah, just like, like the, the Oscars. Yeah, one winner and five nominations. Five nominations. Oh, cool. like I don't, I think it'd be, I mean, I think he'd probably be at like seven. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think he's close, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. I doubt he'll be there for me. Yeah, I, I, just, I doubt it. We've, part of the thing is, and we haven't really talked about this, Kenny, or maybe we have. We've done a lot of these episodes. Uh, Academy members don't watch every movie that came out, right? Like, they just don't. We so they do. don't have the perspective that we have of having seen every goddamn movie. So it's almost impossible to think of five performances to single out in the over 300 films that we'll have watched. So it is just sort of, it's going to be really hard. Like, I think we're going to have a really mm-hmm. tough time doing our Oscars that year. Um, but, uh, but you know, we're going to do it. It's going to be great when we, when we wrap this thing up at the end of the year. But, Christian, this was a blast. It was so it was nice. So much fun. Hell yeah. Um, and thank you for taking the time to watch the film, to talk about it with us. Um, and, uh, you know, we hope that, that you'll come back in the future and we'll talk about other things. It'll be great. Guys, thanks for having me. When the 2001 podcast comes out, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'll we'll say we'll save Beautiful Mind for you. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Kristen. We'll talk to you later. All right, you guys.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.